The views and opinions expressed on the Poor Ass Podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of BME Recovery Content Productions. Any content provided by our guests are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. And on that note, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I have a new website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes. That's www.poraspodcast.com. So if you hear vcomedy.com, that is the old website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes and enjoy the show thanks for listening thanks for supporting bye welcome to poor ass podcast the show that talks about tough shit on a budget with your host veronica porus Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Poor Ass Podcast, the podcast where we talk about tough shit on a budget and can we live a sustainable life while living on a budget. Today's guest is Kenny Yoon. He is a solo theater director and teacher for Charlie Veron's solo performance workshop at the Marsh Theater in uh, San Francisco. California, and he has wrote and performed his own solo show, Let His Town Lies, which is the winner of Best Solo Show with SF Press, and um, that's about Kenny's growing up in Salinas, California. Other solo performances include the Kim Jong-il Experience and Mom Spilled Guts on My Tater Tots. Uh, I have known Kenny for a while now we both met at the San Francisco Comedy College um, doing comedy there and and we've been uh, friends ever since. So today's topic is grief and artistic expression and I really wanted to reach out for Kenny. Uh, I follow, we're Facebook friends and I've been reading his posts and I was really like connected to his process on grief with um, the passing of his mom. And it's been a year or a couple, a couple of years, uh, Kenny. It's been three years, three, three years. So let's go, let's go into that on um, how have you used artistic expression to process your grief? I, actually signed up for Charlie Varon's workshop at the Marsh. So I have been teaching and co-directing with him in his workshops for about a decade. And a few years ago, when my mom was really ill, 
I, I really needed to sign up and actually write myself. And I'm, I'm very familiar with Charlie's process, <laughs> having taught with him for a long time. So I, I, yeah. I hope it's not too self-centered to think like that's what I needed, which was what we kind of like, uh, we took what Charlie had been doing for decades and we kind of co-developed like a, an approach or a repeatable process. Not that it's like set in stone, but just kind of loose guidelines and principles and a vocabulary for it. So I trusted him and, and I signed up for the workshop and I started uh, just writing. And he, of course, um, as he does so masterfully, he, he guided me through moments and, his his approach is it's very different in my experience, whereas a lot of our culture, you know, particularly here in the Bay Area, we want to resolve and fix. Uh, most people I know are in therapy and have some sort of spiritual practice. And a lot of people uh, I know are in recovery. And a lot of that has to do with healing and finding resolution, which of, of course we all need, except Charlie's approach is more of let go and forget about trying to fix, resolve, making meaning out of, but just go into the moment as deeply and truthfully as possible. And when I teach with him, I really want to also get into the emotional moments and find ways to physicalize it, to, to really, really get, get into there with our bodies and, and allow our bodies to actually express what those moments are like, whether they were exactly the physical expressions that happen or what we might have pushed down and then this is the chance for it to come out in physical emotional ways in addition to obviously with our voice and he uh, guided me through the moments it was it was not easy there is a lot of i would say shame that is built into us that we should not express things that are not acceptable by by our, our tribe, our even our writing group, because it can get us expelled, thrown out, and it, it, we all have it. And we're not supposed to talk about shame, let alone the things that shame protect us from. But I, I really trusted that process with Charlie and going into the the areas of, of grief after my mother passed away, and they were events that happened that I did not share publicly. I did not share even with a lot of my close friends um, mm -hmm. in experiencing the grief after she passed away. But to have Charlie and his class hold space where it felt safe and I could explore was just really, really helpful. And without the intention of resolving or overcoming, but to just be present with what was happening in those moments. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, I, I found it interesting that you were t you took Charlie's class when your mom was still alive, but she was you know becoming more sick, and that's something that I don't see a lot. Which I hope people who are listening to this, going through their own grief, kind of like like you know um, find a process before they're actually gone. So but not a lot of people know how to do that. Um, what, what prompted you? Uh, okay. I think the question I wanted want to ask, like as you were, um, so you're taking these classes, but it's been, it's been three years, like in grief, there is, there is no ending to grief, but at the same time, when 
you're using artistic avenues to process grief. It's not like you're going back to square one, like when the grief first hit or they're in this decline or they're, you got the notice that they're dead. So at this point of your grief process, you're three years in, like has new stuff come up or, or new healing um, sprouted up like, oh, I guess I need to look at that. Anything like that going on? I think having made solo theater out of the process of loss and then after my mother's death and the grief that comes after it, there is historical evidence that I survived feeling those, mm-hmm. those moments and experiences. And I, I've done, I would say, a, quite a bit of inner work. I mean, I've spent most of my adult life in recovery and, and, engaging in other resources for healing and even having done all that it i can feel the resistance the avoidance to not want to feel grief because there is a sense a bodily sense just a very primitive bodily sense of losing control and that is something that i don't think anybody wants to feel it's it's we're innately wired to not want to lose control, but instead to be in control because we have obviously safety and security that way. So what's different now is that when the grief comes, I can feel the old patterns arising of resistance of wanting to distract myself of other things, all of a sudden becoming important that are not really important, Mm -hmm. but, but, and like, Oh, I need to go take care of this and, and address this issue. And now it's, feeling the resistance and then uh, feeling the impulses to want to then distract myself or to not feel it. And then allowing myself to just let go and, and have what comes up, comes up. And it's not easy. I have found language to describe it rather easily, but the experience itself is not, It, it truly is not. And I don't think it ever will be. But then to be able to to feel it and then to experience it with my full body, my full being. And then there is a a through line to it where it does peak, 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 and and then it starts subsiding. And, and I'm not gonna say it's a bell curve, but I would say there is a ramp up to it and then it, it falls down. And having gone through this multiple times, I'm able to to identify it now. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, there is a sense of not being present in the way that our modern day spiritual books describe where it's like formulaic, but there is a sense of my body is, is fully there. It is fully alive. It has experienced something really, really um, innate and, and felt throughout my whole being and the mental processes are somewhat quiet and my body just feels very tired and I mm-hmm. think that this is what a lot of the spiritual books um, that are derived from ancient traditions are after. It's like how to be fully present. I don't think we can really will that process through a spiritual technique. I think some of it is that we surrender into to what we're wired to feel, but somehow we're conditioned to push against it. And once we can really, really feel it, whether through a theater process or just being home, I think that allows us to be present. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed um, with COVID COVID and um, these uh, wildfires ravaging like Oregon, Washington, California, like the, the West Coast, have you noticed that 
uh, your grief has come up even more more so compounded on top of of your mom and if and if so what what's your daily practice looking like these days i think these are pretty much connected together i i think what i have learned from my own lived experience is that grief doesn't go away that the Cooper ross seven stages one year that's been retconned for all kinds of grief. That's all a myth. I mean, she wrote that for anticipatory grief, like in a hospice setting. And then it somehow got turned into this cultural myth and applied to everything. And I think Mm -hmm. the negative effects of that is people feel like they've failed somehow because they can't overcome it after a year. And then it becomes privatized in the home. And then all sorts of issues can creep up from that. Mm -hmm. So then having just kind of gone through that for many years, and now in this situation, I can feel the resistance and the, you know, ways to try to avoid feeling it. And somehow I should be more spiritual because of the different practices I've done. After being in, in therapy for so many years, I should be able to, you know, um, analyze and process my way out of feeling what is happening during the <laughs> pandemic and all the fight and it just doesn't work like like i mean i use my willpower to you know i, I think i've done pretty well in my career in my theater vocation i've, I've learned multiple languages i mean I, i'm pretty intellectual i went to to cal and i mean i'm i have a very intellectual approach but it, it doesn't work with grief it, it just doesn't and and that's a huge myth and i think that the the pandemic and the fires are really bringing that up to the surface is that we we're we don't have control over what's going on in the outer world and similarly internally having said all of that i think grief with my mom and all past griefs they're all somehow interconnected together whether it's through our neural pathways or psychically what have you so i've had to go through incidences of feeling loss of not having my recovery community in person, although I am with them in Zoom every day. I am not in a theater, and that is incredibly, incredibly important to me. I would go as far as to say that that theater life, to feel things, that that's an extension of my recovery. To be fully present in my 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 being my body with my emotions that that is a, such a healthy extension of recovery and i've had to grieve that loss as well mm. and there are times when you know i i i'm I'm South Korean. I, I grew up in a in a lettuce town, but you know, I, I grew up, you know, both with with American food and my mom's Korean cooking and I ordered Korean food last weekend and I was missing my mom and it was just like just a lot of like sadness and I could feel it was like this kind of younger kind of self sadness coming up and how to just hold space with it. So like for me um, during this time, how to just hold a space with myself where I can just feel what's happening and acknowledge it and to, to really be present with it and to be aware that there is a lot of social conditioning that I need to resolve and transform this grief because that's what the spiritual books say that have made a lot of money off of our grief Mm. that might not have helped, but just to be present with it without trying to fix it or transform it. And I felt that was what was most healing. And then 
the the other losses of just not being around my friends to to have to grieve that and then looking out into uh the future finding out from my my uh, work my day job which i'm very grateful for we're not going to be into the uh, office until next year i have never <laughs> met my coworkers <laughs> oh yeah yeah that's right you just started a new job yeah it was all <laughs> done online and then when when the ceo announced that maybe we'll be in the office in spring of 2021. Like no matter how much spiritual recovery therapy I've done, my mm. internal reaction was fuck, fuck the government for not having a plan and fuck all the politicians mm-hmm. nationally and, and locally for not having a fucking plan to get us back into the office soon. Cause I, I really like to be around people, you know, and I love my work. And I, I wanted to meet my coworkers. I got pissed. And so I had to also let myself go under the anger and, and feel the sadness. Like, yeah, I just, I, I miss my coworkers, even though I've never met them. Like, I just want to mm-hmm. see them. And then regarding all the fires happening, I'm going to just be honest. It is hard to, to really sit with what is happening because the magnitude of it, I think, is too overwhelming. So I focus my attention on the, the gender reveal woke party who, who lit the fireworks. I, I, I focus anger towards them. I focus anger towards all the, the bullshit happening that is, is just aggravating and, and, and politicizing what's happening with the fires because it's too hard to feel like, uh, just that collective sorrow and loss mm-hmm. of the homes, the homes, the jobs that have occurred from the fires. Uh, in the recovery communities, I do hear from some of the firefighters who are out there and the amount of stress. I mean, stress is such a trite word to use, but it's, it's, it's incredibly overwhelming on the firefighters, what they're going through also. Oh yeah, I, I could I could imagine that uh, for for sure. I I I was on a, a service twelve step service uh, call. It wasn't a meeting. This was like a a service a service meeting, and I sh- I shared that uh, my adult child alcohol my ACA coping skills are are kicking in. Because um, I I know like I use the the denial and minimizing minimizing trauma like just to keep me like safe even though I I didn't know that I was doing that in my younger years but that's what I was doing um I think it well it's also true in in scientific studies but it like when the body goes through trauma you there are coping skill uh, mechanisms that kick in to protect you and I feel that those ACA coping skills that I was using in my um growing up protecting myself emotionally protecting myself and minimizing the childhood trauma. Um, because if, if really coming to terms at that time with no support would have killed, killed me. Absolutely. And, and I didn't, you know, I got into recovery now when I was 20, 26 of being affected by the family disease of alcoholism and then learning the tools when trauma and grief would come up because of something that happened when I was 10, 11, five, like, okay, now I, I'm adult enough to deal with it. But, you know, with, with going on right now, 
COVID uh, wildfires and, you know, processing my own raw emotions and trauma, it's like, okay, maybe, maybe some ACA coping skills could be useful just enough, just enough. Mm-hmm. So my brain doesn't collapse on itself. Um, but it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard. And I'm grateful that I found comedy, you know, even before pandemic or COVID or that, you know, those creative processes like helped me to process pain on, and, you know, on top of therapy, of course. Um, did you, so I, I'm, I have that, the stand-up comic like soul and that's where I met. I'll always be a stand-up, like, even though I'm not like performing a lot, like nowadays, um, I, I always have that. I'm, I'll always be drawn to stand-up like no matter what, but, um, but I do find like in that process of stand-up comedy, like, I do have the tendency to use jokes to hurt people rather than to process, but sometimes I don't know the difference and, um, an inventory process had helped, has helped me to know the difference. So in your process in doing solo performing in the, in the writing, do you find that may like, did you ever catch yourself writing something like, Oh, this is, this is mean and not hurtful, hurtful. Uh, yes. And although I'm not doing stand up these days, cause it's more in the solo theater s- storytelling format. I am still doing that. Yesterday I was telling a friend, but I want to st- uh, start coming up with some bits and maybe filming some sketch uh, about a mindfulness is mental illness. And, and I want to <laughs> just make fun of people who just like fucking quote mindfulness, like no matter what is happening, like, like, like houses are burning down and they're just like, let's use mindfulness. Like, like, <laughs> Like that kind of shit or like, like, you know, like people are dying, you know, because of coronavirus, there are people that are like, you know, getting shot, you know, out on the street. Like I'm not getting into the sides of it. I'm just saying like, you know, like, like the most awful things are happening. And then you'll hear someone say, well, I'm going to use mindfulness and then like non-mistake. Like really? Like, Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. going after them. You're damn right, V. I'm going to go after them. Yes, I'm going after them. And then in addition to that, I think where solo theater, you know, comes in, it allows, you know, me to also write a, you know, in a compassionate way, like what could be, you know, leading them to do that. And I think a lot of it is what you just described so clearly, like, you know, maybe they grew up in an alcoholic, you know, family where they had to disassociate and shut all that stuff down and then learn to try to over control everything else, except their overwhelming trauma and, and shock that they were experiencing. And now as, as adults, they've really found, you know, ways to take spirituality that are intended uh, for one to be present with their inner life and instead are using it in ways to push it away. Mm. And so, can yeah. I make fun of them, <laughs> like just <laughs> with, with no holds bar? And like, yeah, damn yeah. right, I'm gonna go after them. Hell yes! And then also talk about, you know, maybe they're coming from here, and and then I can identify with that. I've been there myself. I mm-hmm. do these things myself, even to this day. So, is there a way that I can identify with what they're doing? 
compassionately and also make fun of myself. So I'm in full support of making fun of other people. I really am. I can't wait to hear your stuff, V. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'll I'll text you the the details. I got <laughs> I got booked to do some recovery comedy for a conference that's coming up. I'll 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 text it to you. And um, yeah, that's definitely been a process. The recovery comedy came. I started writing jokes about it maybe the second or third year doing stand-up, but I, I was not in the space to per- perform it. And that's the thing, like, like when do you know that you're ready? And I think the process for me was, it was slow. And, um, and I, I, you know, you know, comedians in, in recovery, like too, I know for a fact, like some of the stuff that they've joked about took them decades to get to the point of, of from trauma to punchline, like mm-hmm. that in that in between. I know for me, that was definitely like the, the, I, so I started kind of like just writing it on paper. Like that was step one for me to just get the joke on, on the paper, but not tell it. And I found, and then within the recovery community, there's, um, you know, talent shows and, and whatnot. So I started doing like, like dipping my toe in that realm because I figured, okay, these people like would automatically get it. But then I found I was over explaining myself in the outside of the recovery community. Like I didn't trust that the audience would know that I'm what I'm talking about. And then, you know, another leap of faith, just like trust the audience that you know what you're that you're talking about. You don't need to over explain, which like that's another symptom of being affected by the alcohol family disease of alcoholism. Like you're constantly explaining yourself. You're constantly justifying yourself. And I did that. Like I had two alcoholic parents. Like my dad was the primary drinker and just wouldn't remember conversations. And I would just explain, explain, Mm. defend, explain. And it was just exhausting. And then just not realizing like, oh, I'm doing that in my, like outside the family, like in my adult life, this over explaining, I'm doing it in my comedy, like over explaining. And, and it's still there. I, I hope, I think I've hedged it more, more than I've done before, but it's still like a work, a work in progress. And then I think like, mm, I want to say like 20. 2011, I think I, I st- was performing at lo- 2011. I started performing recovery comedy in the recovery like community. And then now, so like anytime there's a, like a talent show, like I'll sign, I'll sign up for it. Um, and do, and do my jokes there. And then through the inventory process, like knowing the difference of like, okay, going for the jugular, to be to be mean because sometimes I just I just don't I don't know the difference and I need to do an inventory like and so I've come to in my own understanding like if I focus on the behavior but not like the person mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the behavior then I'm I'm in a good spot so like yeah I'm totally in agreement like fucking go off those spiritual bypassing bullshit like behavior like I totally love that premise of like not my house burned down like oh namaste like, <laughs> <laughs> you know but, but at the same time okay there's you're probably you can't you can't handle the like psychological impact of a house burning mm-hmm. down so that's the only thing that you could you know tell your friend like not like namaste like what do you do like how do you even like pro like processes so so to me there is like like you know 
I'm all about dark humor and finding funny in a dark in a dark space. But, you know, knowing that time, that time and a place and, you know, where are like my quest is like, where are the spaces that could hold, you know, too soon dark humor? Because I think it's necessary and those spaces need to be created because you got to process somewhere. And even if it's offensive, it needs to be it needs to be said. But where are the spaces that could support that level of trauma without getting all cancel culture on you, you know? Yeah, I think this is such an interesting topic. And I, I think just, you know, for ACAs, for codependents, like it, it's just so like interesting, like how much of doing comedy is actual an extension of both the, 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 this, spiritual sickness part of it as well as the healing aspect meaning like that form itself it's about making people laugh and be happy i mean that's so codependent <laughs> that's so like adult child of, of alcoholics it's like yes let's focus on making them just feel super good and as long as we make them laugh and happy that we hey we, we finally get to have a voice and to be heard as yeah. long as it's yeah. focused on making them feel happy like how much of that is really healthy but then at the same time we're we're, we're we're like abstracting it out into this art form where we kind of have quote control over it where we're intentionally doing it versus it kind of running on autopilot and i think that distance itself can be super healing and i think that in recovery meetings i mean we hear people say the most fucked up things and then like everyone is laughing right and yeah. again you know it's focused on the behavior right and when it comes to the person we say oh they're spiritually sick but it's about the behavior exactly like you're saying and like I really get get what you're saying, V. Like, because we experience that in community, we want to take that out into the world, but it can be a little too dark and a little too, too, just too raw for people. And I think that, you know, maybe if it was labeled recovery or labeled something, you know, letting people know it's going to be um, dark and that we're okay with it and that so you can be okay laughing at this stuff because I'm okay laughing about it and making fun of it. Mm -hmm. I think there's that. I think there are people who do that well, like like Greg Giraldo, who was sober. He's like one of my favorite comics. He was so dark. He was so oh. – he would say the most yeah. fucked up things about oh. people's behavior and about <laughs> himself. And, he was good and, at that, yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, and it's unfortunate that, you know, allegedly he he OD'd, which is really sad. But then right there, that shows how much he was struggling with darkness and trying to find ways to make it funny. But I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but that comedy in itself was not enough for him to come out of the darkness mm -hmm. because he OD'd. So I think that, I think, doing the comedy around it gives us distance. And I think it lets people kind of into our worlds through humor, but you know, we, we really got to work those recovery programs at the same time. Yeah. That brings me to another topic. Um, it kind of goes with the talking points I, I, I talked about you before we started recording, but the a holistic approach to grief proce processing, like I have stand up. I, 
I went through financial personal crisis like in uh, 20, 2010. So 2008 was the financial uh, crash, the, the bubble. And I, my day job is like accounting. And there was a time during that time, like even it was hard finding like accounting work. You know, I've gone through um, uh, recessions before where accounting wasn't exactly af- affected, but 2008 was just like, okay, well, they weren't, they weren't hiring. And uh, it, when that started happening, I noticed my um, comedy wasn't as active as it was from 2006 yeah 2006 2008 like there was like two solid years that I was just really going like just doing my best like you know three four times a week you know performing taking classes at the comedy college producing shows um being on shows and all the the deal like doing the deal and then 2008 happened and then from 2008 to like today like I was hardly doing any any um stand-up um but you know, I found like other other processes too. Um, I mostly just right now. Um, I just want to do like comedy in, in recovery recovery settings at this at this moment, and that's where I feel the most safe and comfortable. But I've you know this holistic approach of you know stand up isn't going to be the only avenue that's going to process like deep traumatic childhood childhood like trauma like trauma um i found others like this podcast is another avenue that's um i feel is really helping and like outside help you know talking to um, zoom zoom therapy um body work acupuncture i started doing that and then like covid happened but i i did have some you know uh several sessions of acupuncture that just you know helped and I, I started doing the first time ever experiencing acupuncture was last year. Um, so in your, in your experience, like, you know, what, what other things are you, are you doing to help process grief? Maybe just not artistically, but what other things are you doing? I, I talk about it in therapy and with people that I trust in recovery. And I, recently took a workshop by Matt Licata, who is a psychologist who integrates the Eastern tradition with his therapeutic practice. And he's very vocal against spiritual bypass. And for a straight white man, he is really leading the model, a new model about therapy, not trying to fix, but trying to just teach clients how to hold their own inner experience, meaning when grief comes up or a traumatic uh, sensation. And I'm saying sensation because there are so many different kinds of trauma and I'm just meaning in a more somatic manner. So when grief comes up or any kind of somatic experience that is painful, to learn how to just hold it, to just be present with it and welcome it and welcome it. And that there's actually been Harvard research done that therapists who have worked on their own trauma and grief, and therefore can be fully present with their clients going through it, that that in itself is healing for the client, just to have someone be present with them and can can feel it along with them without pushing it away, without getting 
uh, lost in it, but to be present. And then he teaches people how to do that themselves. Mm -hmm. So again, this is a practice. I have not mastered it in any way, but this is one thing that I've been doing because I've not been writing, but then clearly the similarities are there. A writing practice allows this also, where we can just go into those moments and write about them. And what I have been working on is to ask people who are in recovery if they would like to start a writing group that is not intentionalized in any way to like get a theatrical run because that's an unconscious pull. I, I'm just being honest. It's an unconscious pull with a lot of people in the local uh, solo theater community. They want to produce and create something that will get them great reviews or picked up at theaters mm, or yeah. accolades yeah. out on yeah. the on the road uh, at solo show festivals. Uh, the premise in recovery always starts in the recovery that I'm in. The multiple program starts with honesty. It, it, it's about admitting to oneself that there is a problem. And there is a, a chapter in one of our main books called How It Works. And the first paragraph says people who recover are honest. They can be honest with themselves. So there's a lot of uh, pr principle or premise around honesty as the basis for recovery. And this overlaps with comedy, with with solo theater, with, with starting with honesty. So I am getting together a group of people in recovery where we can write and just share with each other. Because like you said, B, that's so important. Like recovery allows that it, it's built in because it's based off of honesty. It's built in to create a safe space for us to be honest. Exactly. Uh, I, I have noticed as fucked up as, you know, pandemic and, and, uh, wild, wildfires that, uh, you know, I'm not to make fun, but for example, I, I saw a post on my Facebook feed, um, woke it, uh, a show that's on Hulu, I believe Hulu. Yeah. So woke, actually like takes place and it's it's making fun of the the quote unquote inclusiveness of San Francisco um or the way i understand like the the premise and just making fun of that but the way it's produced the way it's produced the main character um you know experiences uh racism and and microaggressions in this in this series and um, he's a he's a cartoonist. The main character is a cartoonist, African American cartoonist. He's about to get this big deal, but he gets um, and he's posting up flyers to promote like um, an event that he's in. But he gets stopped by the cops, and and it turns into this thing, and that caused like a traumatic response in in him, and he has this um, like this such an, an emotional like reaction that it cost him the deal. It cost him the deal. So now he's like navigating, you know, this, he's navigating it and in, in navigating processing this traumatic experience that he has experienced, his environment comes to life, his environment, um, it's live action with animation. So some parts become, 
animated and they talk to him and it's like oh what an interesting like like oh that's cool like that's a cool premise because like you know who framed roger rabbit was exactly that you know uh mm. live action with actors um fucking that mary poppins movie disney um mary poppins no i think it was mary poppin poppins and there's like that whole animated sequence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but because it was because the subject matter was, you know, a POC African-American like like narrative, like he's been trying to pitch this like, you know, before, but it, networks wouldn't pick it up. And like finally they're picking it up. And like now it's like like it took a pen like because like pandemic and like wildfires are just finally it's like those were the things that needed to happen for shows like that to get a chance to get on, on the air because of who framed Roger rabbit can exist. Why can't woke? It's the same thing, you know? That I, I, I feel like as you describe this, I'm thinking a little more archetypally where the fires and the pandemic, I mean, just that sense of alloc, controlness in greek mythology that happens when the 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 young goddess core she's abducted by hades into the underworld and her her mother demeter is is demanding her to be released but none of the the male gods who rule the the world will will let her free so she makes the so Demeter makes the world just die, all the vegetation, and then so people are dying. Everything is dying around them. And with the people dying, they, they can't do any sacrifices to the gods. So then the gods, you know, they'll start suffering. Mm-hmm. And it, and she is the only one who was able to defeat the male patriarchy. And And I bring this up because by having the the mass famine which in its own way is equivalent to like a pandemic in its own way, you know, whether fires or through a virus, then this big change happens that allows for something else to emerge, which would be Persephone. She then emerges up in, in the, the world during the spring. So yeah, yeah, this is an allegory for the seasons, but at the same time, this is allowing for something that has been hidden and oppressed and traumatized to then surface into the world, mm. which it, it's, it's his form of art. It's this, this, it's a new revival of work that has been done in the past, but it's of these times and it's done by a person of color. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me not to also feel that that as painful and debilitating as trauma can be, that there are sides to it that are, and I hate to use this word, it's so overused in our communities. <laughs> yeah. But it it brings gifts with it, right? That, yeah. That height, heightened sensitivity for the world around him, the colors around him, the way he sees things, it's heightened. It's so heightened. And yes, the, the, the healing part comes in with deregulating one's nervous system, 
having trauma, having PTSD, one's reactions can be too big, you know, for simple things in life, which cause a lot of pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And the healing comes from trying to deregulate that, whether through therapeutic spiritual techniques or in community. But there is a, 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 a light side to it or the side with um, gifts where he's, he's like used it for artistic purposes. Like when I'm in a theater and I'm directing a solo performer, I'm using all the positive aspects of PTSD, that heightened, heightened sensitivity to feel into even subtle things that the performer is experiencing. And sometimes I will say, Hey, um, I felt you disconnect here. And they'll be like, how did you know? I was thinking about the next line. I'm like, I just, I could feel it. So I'm saying this in terms of, I can see where trauma can actually be a, a positive or a benefit for art. Mm-hmm. That sucks though. I, I, I totally get that. It, it, probably it's like the truth no one wants to hear, but it, it's true. I mean, I, I, um, you know, I've experienced sexual trauma in growing up and, and, but because of that, like I, I could sense creepers, you know, just like this, this spidey sense, the sixth sense. And it's like, um, I'm going to leave now. And I can't, it's like, and if you don't have that trauma, you probably don't have that, you know, sensitivity when creeps enter the space. Because the mood, the energy shifts, the mood shifts. It's like, and, you know, I, um, you know, re recovery community is, is not prone. Uh, you know, you're going to get creeps in the recovery. It's just, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you got to protect yourself. And so I have come across that energy in the recovery community and I protect myself. I get out of the way. Um, and sometimes it's really subtle because these same people, like they're in service, service positions and they have friends and people say great things about them. I was like, oh, awesome. People have said great things about the people who abused me. You know, that's so fucking weird. It's so like, yeah, uh, mm, really? And, um, but, you know, thank God, like I have a higher power that sometimes I just don't understand. But like that energy force has like protected me when I'm in tune with it and learning to advocate my needs and, um, and protecting myself, like making my own reality and not letting that like, um, and I get this when I come across like narcissistic, narcissistic people of, I mean, they could spiritual bypass like a motherfucker and just yeah. like, you know, stand in your truth. Cause it's like, you know, talking about like the positives of, of trauma. Like I've seen narcissistic people like manifest reality, like no one's business. And, but at the same time, if it's not channeled in a proper way, they have, they could manipulate reality, bend reality. And, and I find, and I find like for the codependence, like if they themselves are not connected to a source, they'll just, like, because and, and, I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience and just like how I was raised, like I could, I, I, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid, you know, I accepted their reality. Their reality was my reality. 
Yeah, there's so much there that I mean, I'm hearing the anxious attachment style of the codependent hooking into the narcissist with the avoidant and their own form of anxious attachment. It's 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 horrible. I'm not justifying or minimizing it in any way. It's just it's awful on both sides. It's just extremely mm-hmm. painful for both. And and I'm I'm not one of those. I'm not saying let's ignore the pain of trauma. I'm not doing spiritual bypass yeah. because you know, I, I, in the Bay area, I could have bought a, a house with all the fucking therapy I had to pay for <laughs> because of trauma. So it's not like I'm like, yeah, the gift of trauma y'all like sign up now. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> like fuck that. You know, like maybe I should write a book so that I can like, you know, recoup all the therapy and spiritual healing workshop. My friends traveled around the world while I was like in a fucking drumming workshop, you know, trying to like cry out my trauma and while they're sipping like espresso in some little cafe in France, I- I'm like doing shamanic soul retrieval, you know, for like that lost mm-hmm. piece of my, my childhood. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. trust me, I, I, I understand it sucks. And what I'm saying, it's probably not pleasant, but I am not in any way saying that there is a shitty aspect to it. Of course there is. But what I'm saying is that the shitty aspect in some way is an initiation into us learning how to use some of the positive things that develop from that heightened sensitivity. And I brought up Persephone because back in ancient times, that was an initiation. Trauma was an initiation into, into the, the, the priestesshood. And there are some Native American traditions, and I use that word very loosely because I know there is no one Native American um, ethnicity but, you know, they would try to trigger trauma in, in certain people in order to turn them into shamans. I think to find a safe space or safe people who can just bear witness to whatever grief is wanting to come up without making it go in any direction, without trying to control it, because ultimately it can't be controlled. It, it can. And I think to try to work with the acceptance that grief in no way can be controlled. It does not matter what we've accomplished out in life. It, it just doesn't. It doesn't matter what we've built or bought. Grief cannot be controlled. It needs to be witnessed. And I think back to what you're saying, V, whether it's recovery within recovery or in some other community, who is it? Whom can we feel safe with? So we can just express our inner life as it comes out. Who will be present with it? I think rituals are really helpful. They've been built into different cultures around the world for thousands of years to ritualize grief, meaning that people accepted that grief is part of life. So they built some rituals around it. They honor grief when it comes up. In my family's culture, and I know in different cultures around the world, like in African, uh, Mexican, Jewish traditions, they honor their dead loved ones the rest of their lives. They don't try to move on and forget about them. That's, That's... 
So mm, yeah. Oh Go my ahead. god, that's so yes. Yeah. I yeah. No, I was like um yes, ritual and I don't it's um you know, I come from generational trauma and I'm I have now have this curiosity of getting back to like connecting to my an- my ancestors and connecting because, you know, um, third generation Mexican-American, I do come from a lineage of, of um, you know, a day of, day of the dead or, you know, this, this um, connection to, to my, answer, my ancestors, which I believe the family disease of alcoholism just cuts, cuts that off. And I want, I want to reconnect. But I think that's so important of ritualizing the dead of, you know, we, we will never, we'll never forget, forget them. And this, but I've been so conditioned to shut, shut when grief happens or it swells up, like, like mm, you shut it, you shut that shit down. And, um, I, I love this idea of having a little ritual and in like cultures have it, but you know, this is a, an opportunity for those, um, you know, uh, tiptoeing into their own grief process, a little ritual that they could connect, connect with, uh, what, what rituals have you participated in? When my, my mother passed away, I had friends contact me who identified as Jewish at those times. And they shared podcasts and videos with me regarding Jewish morning rituals that start immediately from the death of the loved one through seven days, through 30 days, and then uh, through 11 months for parents, which was my mother. And in the recovery, one of the recovery programs I'm in, they encourage people to find, to be quick to find where people of religion are right, which is, I spent my life pointing out where they're wrong and hypocritical and, and just plain worthless. I was so resentful towards them. And my mother was Catholic. I grew up Catholic and Mm-hmm. We buried her in a Catholic cemetery, but I was, you know, I didn't want to deal with the priest. And, you know, and then I had Jewish friends contact me. So I asked one of them if there was a rabbi that I talked to. And in the recovery I'm in, it actually uses the word a rabbi, priest or rabbi, make use of what they have. And uh, a rabbi, she gave me practical things to do to, to mourn and <laughs> grieve. And so mm-hmm. just as soon as I woke up, you know, I, I was able to recite a, a prayer and do certain other uh, behaviors or actions throughout the day. And just having that kind of structure just on a daily basis really helped me. And then my other friend in recovery uh, and took me to his synagogue on Shabbat. And it w- it's a very liberal and conservative um, shul at the same time. You know, and he just asked if he could recite Kaddish for my mom. And I just... Oh my God. I just cried my eyes out when he did that. I mean, I, I've been hearing from so many people, you know, to move on, get over it, move on. They're in a better oh. place. And here's my recovery Jewish friend saying, Can I can I mourn with you, your mother? And and I asked, you know, the rabbi who oh, was a I grief counselor it. and who 
as part of her clinical training, visited 12-step meetings and understood what it's like for people in recovery, you know, and I asked, is it okay if I say mourner's cottage? And she, she quickly went through the words, you know, and she said, yes. And there were some conditions that need to be met, you know, with the, the way I use the language and, you know, to not verge myself on cultural appropriation. There was something she asked me to do, which I honored and I still keep to this day. And so, so doing the things she, she gave them to me on a sticky note to do every day. I meet with a rabbi for the first time and I get a post-it note of like action items. It was awesome. (laughs) And then here's this poem. You can say it's a poem. It's in Aramaic. So that's why she was okay because it was not in Hebrew. And since it was in Aramaic, she was okay with me doing it and, or reciting it. So I recited it every night. I lit a candle for my mom and recited it every night. And just mm. going into the grief to honor her every day, that ritual in itself was just so helpful. It was so helpful to have rituals to do every day. And, of course, I was um, you know, going to therapy and recovery meetings and doing all those other things. There's something there with physicalizing grief, whether it's lighting a candle, you know, st- you know, standing a certain way, and then reciting something out loud that was just incredibly healing for me. And what's come out of that is there is a, a national Jewish end of life organization called um, Kavod Benichum. Um, they have invited me to study with them. I'm like the second non-Jewish person and I will be teaching and guiding people how to, to ritualize grief and mourn. I've been invited by a Buddhist, an American Buddhist clergy chaplain who's part of an interfaith hospital chaplaincy group to interview for their board. So the seed was planted when my mother died by friends who were of um, Jewish backgrounds who planted the seeds about ritualizing. And for the last three years, you know, I've, I've really put in a lot of time to learn about it so that I can hopefully help others. And of course, working with Charlie Varen, I created a new show out of it, which goes over some of the things that I just mentioned. And hopefully that will plant seeds with people also, that there are ways to ritualize it that do not have to be religious. They can be spiritual, but not religious. They can just not be spiritual. They can be poems. They can just be, you know, lighting a candle and reciting any poem we want. Mary Oliver has beautiful poems that can be used. Mm, cool. Yeah. You know, keep it simple and be gentle with yourself during or leading leading up to it and 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 during and after um it's intense but it's like you know it's so beautiful the way the way like your mom your mom's death you know introduced you to this you know entire community that they you know they invited you and you could participate. Yes. And in my family's ancestral culture, I mean, every year, you know, we'll put out a picture and burn incense, put out fruit to honor our dead loved ones. When I go in, there's the day of the dead that you mentioned in Latinx communities. And when I go to 
the Catholic cemetery to visit my mom's grave, there'll be Hispanic families with lawn chairs out by the grave. And I'll just drive by thinking, I get you. I totally get you. And I honor what you're doing. I so get you. And after our African <laughs> tribes that um, do the, the same thing, mm-hmm. they have rituals, you know, they honor their deceased loved ones for the rest of their lives. So the, the seed that I would plant just, I think, here is how can grief mm-hmm. be something that just, you know, happens? It's a part of life, like joy. Joy comes and goes on its own. We have no control over it. Yeah, we can do things to... To, to amplify it, you know, but it's it's pretty much the same thing. How can we not try to get over grief, but how can we integrate it as part of our lives in a way where we are honoring our dead loved ones who have passed? And then there's the salty part of me, which is like you were talking earlier about, you know, mm-hmm. just going for the jugular, you know, like I want to make sketches where, you know, where I'm like, you know, like, do you really want to pour all yeah. your love into somebody? Yeah. You know, and just totally love someone. So when when you're dead, someone comes up to them and says, mm-hmm. oh, get over him with mindfulness. <laughs> Namaste. Here, use, use this bleached, whitewashed Bay Area <laughs> form of mindfulness to like, who gives a fuck about that person who spent their life loving you? <laughs> Like how, you know, I want to do totally salty things like this to plant the seed in addition to all of the compassionate practices that I've learned. So we're we're going full circle back to what you brought up earlier. (laughs) Circle of life. That's how we do. All right. Uh, what has come to the end is there anything you want to plug or do you have a twitter and instagram or do you want to be found my website is kennyyoon.com and i would plug v's podcast she is tackling topics that people really do not want to discuss and that I hear constantly people trying to use spiritual bypass to ignore. Mm. But like V said so well, this is the time where we need to face it. And V's podcast is allowing us to talk about it with humor, honesty, compassion, and saltiness. (laughs) And I I think it's the perfect combination. So V, just thank you so much for this just this wonderful opportunity to talk to you, to for us to share with each other. Um, this this in itself has been very healing, and I'm going to be honest. It, you know, it was fearful for me to to talk about some of these things, but you have made it very easy. So thank you. Oh, thank you, thank you so much. I accept and appreciate your compliment. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, if you like this podcast, uh, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, subscribe, give it a five-star rating. You could find me on my website, www.vcomedy.com. That's V-E-E-C-O-M-E-D-Y. I'm on Instagram at vporus, V-E-E-P-O-R-R-A-S. 
Um, the podcast has an Instagram too, at Poor Ass Podcast. And that's P-O-R-R-A-S-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And I'm on Cameo. So if you want a uh, private video message from me, five bucks, and you'll get a video message, uh, birthday roast, birthday recovery, celebrations, um, words of encouragement and whatnot. You can get me on Cameo. And yes, thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, Kenny, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Vee.